Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week, we present a panel discussion featuring artist Laurie Anderson and others that took place at this year's New York Film Festival. The event was titled Keeping Cultural Borders Open, and it's centered around the launch of The Federation, a collective of artists and activists banding together in response to the increased xenophobia and closing of physical borders. The coalition is committed to keeping cultural borders open and recognizing how essential artistic experiences are to fostering compassion, critical thinking, and joy. Anderson was joined by co-founder Tanya Salvaratnam, curator and writer Callie Holloway, singer-songwriter El Sara, musician Amel Meslusi, filmmaker Sarah Driver, and filmmaker Barbette Schroeder. Around 38 minutes into the conversation, there was a planned yet unexpected burst of music from a gospel choir. The conversation was moderated by the Film Society of Lincoln Center's Deputy Director, Eugene Hernandez. Let's go now to their conversation. Over the past few months, um, as I mentioned, there have been a number of conversations, um, and this group of folks, now known as the Federation, has been kind of quietly um, engaging, conversing, um, provoking and instigating uh, really heartfelt and, and smart and thoughtful conversations. Um, I want to start with Lori because um, I want to understand a little bit of the background um, of how this came to be. Uh, you and your colleagues, uh, as I recall, around the time of the inaugurations, sent around an email and it was a simple invitation to to gather in your home and and start a conversation. I recall it, maybe that first meeting, you said something like, I'm not sure where this is going to lead, but I thought there might be other people who might want to have a conversation about some of the things that, that, that you were thinking about. So You know, help I us think understand. that was another organization because I've tried two things. <laughs> and the first one was right after the inauguration. Like a lot of us, we were just like, what are we going to do? So I thought, you know, maybe we should do something with libraries. And so I think that was the what was the one you're thinking about. Uh, we got we made some progress with that, but then I was just thinking like, um, uh, what are some of the big issues that I can do something about as a New Yorker and as a as an artist? So I was in Berlin around March, I guess, and uh, I was doing some shows there. And looking around at the city and and thinking about things and and uh, realizing that um, maybe maybe because of Berlin's history with the wall and all of this, but I was thinking uh, that um, if there could be a stronger association of cities, it might be a very interesting thing. Here's the thing: when I when I go uh, uh, and tour, which I do a lot of, I I never say I'm going to. Uh, Germany, I'm going to Munich. I never say I'm going to France, I'm going to Paris. And I realized, you know, that the, the silk road of culture that we all travel on as musicians and artists and filmmakers and writers and dancers and theater people are urban. They're cities. City, I have more in common with people in Munich than people in Tallahassee, by a lot. <laughs> you know, so I thought, what, how come how, and, and this is how these things travel. This is how films travel, too. You know, we're, we're going to different kinds of uh, centers like that. So you thought, okay, sorry about the name, the Federation. I know it's super geeky. You know, I know it's, it's Star Trek-y. But I, I had this kind of thought of like, 
Greek cities or something, you know, and the, the power that they had as a, as a, and I think that, you know, that kind of federal thing, so, uh, federation. Uh, so in other words, as borders are closing down, I thought, you know, why not see if we can strengthen the ties of cities? And like our own sanctuary cities, what about a cultural connections of cities? So that was the, that was the basic idea. And I came back and I had dinner with Laura and with Tanya. And I'm telling you, don't have dinner with Tanya with, <laughs> with an idea because it will become real. Tanya is an amazing person and it really the, the Federation is, is her uh, creation because she really had, has taken this idea and put it into many different contexts. So um, uh, that's, um, uh, uh, so what we're trying to do now is take advantage of the film festival and hear what everybody has to say about, um, uh, well, particularly about uh, borders because that's one of our, our issues. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen The Human Flow yet, but one of the great facts of Ai Weiwei's new film is that I was startled here. It was 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. Um, 70 countries, um, I mean, uh, sorry, 10 countries in the world were surrounded by fences. And now 70 are by walls. We are not, this is the way we are moving right now. And we have to really pay attention to that as artists and people in the cultural world is, is to see if we can get around that and, and, uh, and uh, think about what national borders mean in terms of our own circuit. So that's uh, kind of how, I, um, how it started and then Tanya took it from there. Let me, let me ask Tanya to take it from there now and give yeah. us a little bit more context. Tell me about uh, the early conversations you had with Lori and Laura and others involved in the group, but maybe not only tell me about that, but also maybe you can add a little bit of context. What do you feel the role of artists is today in addressing this, this growing um, borderization, if you will, of, of, of national, of so many countries right now that Lori was just speaking of? Well, I think when we first started, we didn't know what exactly we were doing or going to do, and we're still figuring it out as we go. But uh, we launched publicly today, and over the past four and a half months, there's just been more and more momentum collecting around this idea of people banding together to create new cross-cultural collaborations and support vulnerable communities through their programming. When we say vulnerable communities, it's, that is such a broad thing in today's reality. Um, when we first started gathering, it was before the harmful tactics of the administration had taken effect, such as the travel ban, which are direct attacks on these cross-cultural collaborations. There was a very sad story about an artist from Somalia that had his old tour canceled in America just, uh, just last week. So these are the ways in which the new laws and policies are seriously impacting artists and cultural institutions. So it was like, how could we work against it to commend those who are doing the right thing um, and standing up for free expression in vulnerable communities? And how can we hold accountable those who aren't? Uh, and what we're doing now moving forward is creating this repository of resources online so that we empower artists. So there's going to be legal resources and art action resources just so that um, people can take the ideas and run with them. And every day we're making connections with new people. Like today it was Philadelphia. Uh, a couple of days ago it was Colorado. So we're going to build this network outward so that it's not just about moving towards January 20th, which we will talk about a little later, but on really creating this momentum that can continue because 
art has the power to transform consciousness in ways that speeches um, don't. And uh, culture and art is very scary to those who want to have tight political control. Um, so it's about giving artists resources and creating solidarity and camaraderie among us. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but we put it out there and see what happens. Well, that makes sense. It does, and I want to I get a better sense or a better understanding of the stakes. And I think one way to do that would be to talk with, um, perhaps we start with Amel and Alsara to talk about um, being artists from Muslim-majority countries and maybe share with us how um, you're adjusting to this new reality of the American attitude towards these countries or whether that attitude is, in fact, all that new. So, um, to clarify things, um, I'm from Tunisia, but Tunisia is not part of the Muslim ban. So, um, for me, there hasn't been something new that happened, even though I realize and I see it uh, friends of mine. Um, and I think that the immigration here uh, as an artist was already extremely tough. So, I got rejected the first time I tried to come and had a concert canceled, and then the second time I got my visa the day of the travel and half of my musicians didn't get theirs. And so we had to improvise in 24 hours how to change the show. Um, but then I got lucky enough because right now um, I'm here legally because I'm married. So it's not like my own, my own merit. Um, and I used to live in France, and that was also another struggle. And I just realized here how actually in France was easier, uh, even though it's getting tougher too uh, every day. Um, but like even even like after um, having like so much privileges, um, it's also like um, a perpetual struggle because you have to you know, all the paperwork and, you know, renew this and um, it's still like you feel that um, instead of focusing on like your art and all the projects that you can do, you're always like scared or anxious about, you know, um, achieving things and be able to work and be able to, to make progress. Um, and um, so I'm very glad to be part of this and Many, many years ago, I've always tried to say, well, artists should have something, should have some kind of a, uh, of a special status because we actually, like, it's not actually a privilege to travel with your art. Um, it's how, you know, it is, it is, um, it, it, it's how it, it's, it, it works, you know. Um, and, um, and unfortunately, there's like so many barriers to that and like everybody always laughed at me. You know, um, so I'm like um, I'm very thankful for this uh, initiative, and I, I would love I would I would love to participate in however I can. Um, and just to add one last thing about being from a Muslim uh, from a Muslim country, like um, beyond any uh, religious belief, there's there's something else that I wanted to point out today, and I'm not sure like how much it is relevant actually, but I think it's very important, and I think that should be the next step. Is that as such an artist, um, I think we're almost denied um, the possibility of defining ourselves. So there's always this background that has to represent us, 
before and everywhere we have to perform or we're invited. And as uh, compared to artists from the West and like, forgive me, white artists, I feel that we're not considered equal and we're always like the world, the others. And um, so that's also a big struggle that we're facing. Um, and I wanted to talk about it today. I wonder if um, Alsar or I wonder if others on the panel also would like to react to, um, to respond to this question. Or... Um, I think, uh, thank you, Emil, for your words. Uh, I wanted to add, in addition to that, um, the first question that I get asked whenever we're being booked for a gig is, what kind of passports do you have? And the reality of that means who gets to become a musician and who gets to become a touring musician and why? And does that mean that everyone who's talented makes it? Um, I've been through various forms of papers and passports. Um, I've been living in the States since 1994 and I now hold a US passport. Um, I entered legally with my family. We applied for asylum and we were illegal for a while. From the time of my application to the time when I was able to travel was a seven year gap while I was waiting for papers trapped inside. That's the reality of borders. It has actual applications on people's bodies regardless of art. Um, I think artists are sort of like the butterflies of the geopolitical environment, you know? We're the first ones to go down. <laughs> and again, even though I've been a US citizen for a really long time, I still get asked by promoters as one of the first questions, what kind of passports do you have? While at the same time, there's this need for authentic <coughs> imports or exports from places that are considered less desirable as people to enter, and you want to sample that, and it, it just, the entire balance just continues a very colonial setup that's always been there of what do you want the raw good but you don't want the actual thing that comes with it. Um, and I actually agree with Lori that art does happen in a lot of urban centers, but I think art historically has always happened across borders in non-urban centers as well. And from there it migrated into these concentrations that we see today. And yes, I have absolutely so much more in common with someone in Paris than I do with someone in Tallahassee. You know what I mean? And, and that is about the art pipeline. And artists have always created little pipelines for each other, and I don't think this is a very new thing. You know, we've always needed to do it. It's always been a need. And if you wanna, because before you make it, there is a whole bunch of years of not making it. <laughs> And you're still doing your art, you're still doing your work, and it's these pipelines and these networks that keep us afloat, that keep us connected, and that have been around really since before borders or passports. And so I love the fact that we are utilizing now a digital age um, and actually spreading that network. And to me, globalization is not necessarily just a bad thing. It's got some great things that go with it, and some of that is this urban global connection. Some of it is this pipeline and this network that you can become a part of and really help each other out. Um, 
Yeah. I'd love to ask uh, Barbara Schroeder a question because I'm thinking about this notion of, um, again, what's at stake. Uh, and you've been able to, you're here with a film in the festival and you've been able to travel the world over the, over the course of your career with, with your films, engaging um, with different audiences. I can only imagine the experiences you have as an artist being able to travel all over the world and have that engagement. Um, so I'd love to have you help us understand um, what's at stake by understanding sort of what's, what, what can be lost if an artist doesn't have that ability, that freedom, that access to audiences in, in unexpected or, or, or places all over the world? How would that impact you or, as an artist or, or your work? Well, for me, uh, what's important is that uh, my film is seen and uh, I don't think I have to be there. So uh, the fact that the film travels is for me more important than me. I had some, always some uh, trouble traveling because I'm always end up in the wrong case, uh, meaning for example, to get now in America, I'm born in Tehran, so I have to explain that I'm not Iranian and that uh, so. And then I'm raised in South America, I go to Colombia all the time, and when I take a direct flight back, then uh, my suitcase is verified completely in case there's cocaine in it. So, you know, I'm, I always end up in the suspicious case. Uh, uh, and uh, that's all. That's all I can say. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm a little lost uh, uh, to to be speaking uh, like this. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you said about your film traveling, but you also have had so many dialogues with people all over the world. And I was talking to some young filmmakers who have only had their film shown on Netflix, and they have no dialogue with anybody. And they get Twitter, that's it. And they don't all have any feedback. And it so, was so vital to me as a young filmmaker when I first started 30 years ago to go to film festivals all over the world, make, meet filmmakers, talk to filmmakers who have been friends since then. And, um, and, 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 and Laurie and I met at a film festival in Portugal. And you know, these places where you can exchange ideas, talk about your work, but also talk about each other's ideas. It's so vital and important. And I remember thinking that when the, the World Trade Centers came down, why aren't there children's movies being made about folk tales from all over the world so that children will understand each other? Why aren't we having cultural exchanges in our storytelling, too? Um, and I remembered one incident about when Kurostami was blocked from coming to the New York Film Festival in 2002. And Aki Kurosmaki, the Finnish director, said, I don't come to the New York Film Festival either, because if they won't have Kurostami, they don't have Kurosmaki. <laughs> and, and people booed him. I was at the screening of Aki's movie, and people at the New York Film Festival booed Aki's decision to, to stand by Kurostami. And that was in 2002, and it really shocked me. I was, I was like, this is a New York audience, what? You know, it was- You can always find a bad crowd anywhere in the world. <laughs> 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 
But I think, you know, also this digital thing of, of people looking at their phones all the time and not having dialogues and not having exchanges, I think that that's very, that's a very critical problem. Yeah, de definitely. I mean, it's scary. It's like, you know, some someone has a conspiracy, like we will all be really like zombies. And like the most we see, the less we feel, you know, like the more we open, the less deep we are. I'd love to ask a, a broader, more general question about the arts and the role of the arts. And um, I know it speaks to some of what's in some of the documents I've read, the mission I've read, the Federation. So this is open to anybody on the panel. Um, the broader question of how the arts can be used um, as a catalyst for, for building bridges rather than walls. Um, how, how is that? I would love to hear from any artist on the panel to sort of talk about this notion of how that plays into your own philosophy, how that plays into your own work, or whether you think about this notion. Um, well, I think the first time I came across this notion was in 2008 when I just moved to Paris from Tunisia, seeking and very thirsty to try to meet some audience and try to develop some kind of an artistic project. And I was invited to participate in a concert that was called uh, bridges, not walls. And I thought it was extraordinary for these people, you know, to be thinking about it because from my side of the world, I had so many bridges to anybody and to any culture and to any music. And then when I traveled, all of a sudden I realized like how, you know, artistically closed, you know, the, the world became compared to all the things that I was listening to, you know, mainly 60s and the 70s and like all these bands that are mixing Moroccan things with, you know, London rock and roll. And um, I think, I think we're, we're more in it today because the more uh, art is out there, I mean, when I say art, like it doesn't mean all of it is really good, but the more, the more artists and in the same time, we're just like so closed. We don't we don't see each other, and we don't build. Um, there's there's such a, a, a void between. I feel it from my own perspective, as I was saying, because I sing in Arabic, but the music that I do is a mix of electronic, of some experimental, and like sometimes people are just coming to see one thing. Okay, show us all your Tunisianity. You know, I, there isn't such a thing, you know. I, I also processed listening to metal music and to classical European music, and I couldn't understand how people couldn't be more open than that. So I think that's what's very crucial today is that um, we stop being scared from uh, each other's differences, because basically that's it. And that's what the political uh, greed is using to control, to have more control so we could all obey to a system that's completely wrong. So I, th I think we have to just go more toward each other and the only possibility to do it truly and strongly is through art, and through music, through films, because there's such an immediate effect on us. Like when I watched uh, um, Korismaki for the first time, I was like, this guy is completely crazy, but I, I love what he's doing, you know? 
It's, yeah, exactly. It's it's completely about humanity, and I I, I think that politically they're trying harder each time to just you know steal that from us. And with art, we bring it back. Why? Because we, it just makes us remember that humanity is not about ugliness. It's not about selfishness. It's not about violence. It's about also beauty. Because we can create beautiful things like art, like love. And it's true, the official culture is more about conformity, as you're pointing out. And so when artists do things that are just quirkier and they don't look like uh, mainstream culture, that's when it gets really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. As if, you know, um, it's everybody has to just like make things very fluid and very easy, and nothing is stimulating anymore, nothing is live anymore. And then nothing shifts. And I think that when we're in moments like this where we're dealing with um, oppressive and uh, regressive powers and forces, um, it can often start to feel like um, we're, our existence is purely defined by our opposition, um, which is a really reductive way to see ourselves, right? We are so much more than that. Um, so it's, it, this feels like a really critical moment to me to have an artistic response. Um, because we're not just the negation of another thing, we are also, it's, I mean, art in and of itself is creation, it's innovation, it's thinking beyond the very sort of constrained battles that we're fighting right now, uh, which is why I feel like this is such an important project. And, and when we talk about cultural borders, I mean, we're talking about physical borders here right now, but even within the US right now, I feel like we are in a moment in which cultural borders are being not just reified, but created in all new spaces, and so this, you know, this is a thing that goes, that, that we're talking about within this country and beyond. Yeah, and I think it's important to acknowledge that when people or communities are being targeted, people have a kind of a, a duty to stand up for them. And that the targeted shifts, it's not fixed. And that what we're experiencing now is not actually new. I just remember post 9-11 with the targeting of communities. Um, I come from a country, Sri Lanka, that was one of 14 countries in the US government terrorist watch list for, for many years. So these, these the, the, the targeted shifts, um, but what is important is to have the artists always striving, if they can, to use the arts to, to create, to, to build these bridges and to foster understanding and also to to create joy, moments of joy, because that's so important. Because I think so many people are just dealing with anxiety and fatigue right now. It's like relentless. Um, so it's like, how do we uplift it as well? And I think, you know, when Lori gave the inspiration to start the Federation, it was, um, it was about kind of building up and uplifting as much as it was about fighting back and defending. We have a major problem in this country. They are dropping all the arts in the public school system. Yeah. The first thing that goes is the music and art program and the teaching of the, the importance of the imagination. I'm really struck by what you said about the borders in our own countries, in our own country, uh, in terms of culture, because certain people are supposed to go to that and other people are supposed to go to that. And this is one of the things that I love about, especially European festivals, not so much in the US, is that they, they're such a wild combination of things for for you to see, and so, um, and they're all uh, they're they're ticketed in a way that that mean that you can go and see something that you wouldn't normally see here, in New York. Uh, the only people who go to the opera are the ones who have the clothes for the opera and the money for the opera, 
And uh, so kids are not going to the opera. Now, in a, in a big festival in Europe, for example, you know, there'd be the Peking Opera, and, you know, and a kid can go there or see rock and roll from Kansas or, you know, uh, theater from, uh, you know, um, uh, Amsterdam and, and the same ticket price. And, and the, this kid goes, I love opera, you know, but we have a very, very stratified, codified way that we, we look at culture in this country. And certain people go to certain things and we don't mix. This is what would be really exciting, is to get more energy in terms of, of the mix and, and make it um, a, a possible for anyone to go to this event, let's say. And you don't have to look a certain way or spend a certain amount of money. And we don't really do that. We're, we're kind of niche pushers in, in, um, in culture in terms of even New York. You know, where certain festivals are for certain people and other people feel really uncomfortable there. So, you know, I, I think we could get just wilder about it and make more interesting mixes, but we are, we are pushed into conformity. That's why I really was struck by what you said as well, too. You really were pushed to conform to even to your own exotic little um, uh, scene that you, you think is, is cool. So, you know, you, don't, you can't get out of that. This is very frustrating to people. So I think if we had more of those, that attitude of wildness here would really help but it's very controlled um, and fed to you like this is your culture and this is your TV show and this is your HBO series and you're gonna like this. It's corporate and it's, it's, um, it's uh, all about marketing to, to what people think you're gonna like. You know, it's a, you've all you know, experienced as a, you know, you, hey, Lori, you like that book, you're gonna like this book. I'm gonna, wait a second, you know that book that I just ordered on Amazon? That was a gift. <laughs> That wasn't for Don't think you know me by what I just bought. You know, it's much more complicated than that. So I think we got to like rise up and do some uh, weirder things. You know, instead of just sell stuff. Oh, yeah. I agree with you, and I think um, you said something. A key point point in that though is the money. The fact that you can experience all these things at festivals where everything is under the same ticket price and it's not too expensive already shifts the dynamic of who can afford to try something new. Can you afford to throw away the 10 euros versus the 120 euros? You know what I mean? And why? And, and a lot of that is, again, the funding that comes in from institutions, from governments, but we live in a space that all of art is not respected. All of art in general, not just necessarily ones coming from other cultures, is seen as you know, something that's dispensable and not needed. So if you have an entire structure and system and culture that's really geared towards creating middle of the road management that's not even too creative in the ladder of thinking, how, how do you expect people to be more open towards otherness of any kind? You know what I mean? And how does that work? Um, to me, Federal funding, you yeah. know, so that you have Germany who spends, you know, 100 times what we do on culture. Exactly. And that's how they can do it. We can't do that. Yeah, you're right. We, we're not funded like that. I mean, we could do it. We choose not to. I know that she's to. off to a show. I know that to do a show. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. We, we unfortunately live in a place where we don't just choose not We're to. We're going to be joined by um, Jose Parla. Oh, okay. <laughs>
Tanya had invited me and I just flew in from Tokyo, so I didn't know if I could make it on time, but I'm really happy to be here and I think I have a lot to add. Thank you. <laughs> Please jump in at any time. Well, I'd like to just say hello and introduce myself and uh, sort of answer to a lot of the things that you've said because uh, it's resonated with me all my life. Um, I was born in the United States to Cuban parents, uh, but grew up in Puerto Rico as a child and came back at the age of 10, so I re-migrated in a sense. Uh, I was called a refugee, I was called tons of names in school. Uh, I grew up in that Miami of the 1980s that was quite dangerous and I was in a lot of ways saved by, by culture, by art. Breakdancing, hip hop culture um, was something that in the 80s for me, uh, you could see a kind of rainbow of people that joined into that culture where it wasn't segregated like in some, in some other groups. So that was my nation in a sense. I didn't understand the United States. I didn't understand Cuba. I didn't understand Puerto Rico either as a kid. So arts became my nation. And, uh, and so I've always worked with these kind of ideas of uh, work of arts that uh, challenge what walls are. So a lot of my works are about walls. There's a lot of ambiguity and abstraction. And I think abstraction is really important because it sort of uh, deals with a a language that a lot of people can relate to that's not necessarily uh, only readable, but it's more about feeling. And so one of the questions I want to ask is for all of us and for all of you is how can we push harder, let's say, for young generations, for other artists to make work that is about the themes that need to be talked about, but beyond talk and beyond making work, but how can that influence become a true education? And I see it happening. I, I'm kind of a, a very uh, uh, optimistic person in the sense that I see a lot of young people more than ever really become more open, become more unified. So, but how can that grow? How can, you know, and I really appreciate what you're doing with the Federation and I hope to be involved on, on more levels, but what would you suggest we can do? What more can we start to add? Yeah, um, but I think it's, it's, it's not so easy to convince people that art is necessary to their lives because they don't maybe immediately grasp the ways in which their lives have been impacted by art. And it's especially hard when you have powers that be that keep taking art away and away and away and away and away. And I think, as with all things, it begins with education from as young an age as possible and whether it be like sex education or arts education, the people in positions of power don't want people to be informed. So they're having to figure it out as they get older and they make mistakes and they don't understand each other. Um, so one of the things that I really hope with the Federation, which we're envisioning is this kind of like loose voluntary coalition so that people can do whatever they want with it without there being any kind of ownership of it, is my a dream that I have is in addition to this federation's the legal resources and the art action stuff is also to provide people with like ideas, videos about the ways in which art does impact their lives and also to create a federation curriculum that we make free and distribute through libraries and public schools around the country. That's like the long-term goal. But, um, and I think we can do it eventually. We have like amazing partners, like we're just three you know, people that had this idea, but like last night the Brooklyn Public Library signed on. Like Althara and ML, we found through Global Fest, which has become one of our star partners, and Global Fest was formed largely after 9-11, correct me if I'm 
saying anything wrong, to support artists that were being targeted post 9-11. So I feel like you know, bringing these and individuals and organizations into the fold creates this collective movement. I don't like to call it a movement, because that's not what we're trying to do, but like this more solidarity. And, and already, like a phenomenon. Like a network. And already we're finding that there are ideas that are happening, programming that's happening, because these people are participating in the Federation. And it's strengthening, I think, the resolve of those who already have ones, because now they don't feel so alone. Like at the first gathering, I remember everybody went around and said something that they're doing to keep cultural borders open. And it was extraordinary just for everyone to hear the different ways in which people were doing that. I want to give you a chance to talk about, uh, maybe Lori, you want to tell us a little bit. You mentioned, it was mentioned earlier, um, something coming on January 20th, and I think maybe it might be a good moment to pick up on a bit of the conversation around that and what uh, something very tangible that's coming very soon. Yeah, this is going to be Art Action Day, and we have, um, uh, and it's going to be hopefully really chaotic. Because one of the things about, about, to your point about what should we do, um, uh, I can't stand being part of movements. You know, it's like what people telling me what to do or what to make or, or what's a good thing to make or what will open people's minds. I don't know what will open my own mind. You know, I really don't. And, and so uh, I, I hope for maximum chaos. And I mean, for me, I'm an artist because I want to be free. That's it. That's the whole reason. And I, I like beautiful things, but mostly I, my own thing is that I, 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 don't, I don't like people telling me what to do. And I don't like being part of an agenda, even if it's to free other people. What do I know about well, you? Well, I woke up this morning what? in my mind. Whoa. Okay. <laughs>
Resistance Revival Chorus. We didn't exactly plan that cue, but it was perfect. And just to finish the thought about January 20th, so the reason we picked January 20th is Art Action Day is because this past January 20th, artists and arts institutions were encouraged to be silent in protest and close in protest, which we thought was a terrible idea. <laughs> You don't tell artists to shut up. <laughs> so what we want for this next January 20th, it's obviously many milestones. It's the first anniversary of the inauguration. There's going to be a lot of rage on that day. Um, and to provide people with outlets for that rage and, and positive ways to engage with the arts. So we want the arts community to be more loud and more visible than ever. And there are a lot of ideas that are cooking. And if you go to wearethefederation.org and tell all your friends, we just launched the website today. Uh, there's some and we're going to keep building it out over the next three and a half months and adding the resources and building the community. And who knows? We'll see what happens. But as Lori said, the more chaos, the better. Yes. So, Well, thanks for coming, everyone. You know, there's just so, certain moments where you're like, it's, it's kind of great to be an American, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for singing that song. The, the, both songs, they just like, they just like rip your heart out. That's so wonderful. Thing. Well, Lori has this idea. Um, one of the ideas is for sing-alongs in public libraries. Yes. So I know where you're speaking like, Shh. Yeah. and you're like, sing really loudly. Yeah. We're starting one of those things uh, around here, so keep your eye peeled for that and join us. Yeah, and it's not just going to be on Art Action Day. There are people planning to do stuff afterwards to keep the momentum going and, and show some kind of grassroots growth. Um, so like the Brooklyn Public Library is going to stay open for 24 hours, which is something that they've done before, um, in partnership with the French Embassy. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Because libraries are becoming more increasingly safe spaces. Tanya, I have a question. Yeah? It seems like a lot of these issues are legal issues. Yeah. In terms of getting people visas and getting okay. involved. And I wondered if the Federation is going to also enlist lawyers like the ACLU to, to help people. So when we started bringing people together, it was like kind of random alchemy. We just reached out to people that could take big ideas and make them happen, but also from very different fields that otherwise wouldn't be in the same room. So it's not just from arts and cultural organizations, it's also from uh, educational institutions, from libraries, from social media platforms, uh, and from social justice organizations. So we have a legal resources team that is amazing. Um, I've seen the draft of the toolkit. It's uh, comprised of people from the ACLU, from Tamizdat, which is an artist immigration organization, deals with uh, some of the most heartbreaking cases right now involving involving artists and people from the Knight First Amendment Institute, Toast Center for Digital Journalism. So yeah, we've got a great legal resources team working with us. Um, but but we are not a C3 or C4. We don't want to be. We want this to be a voluntary coalition. But we will be able to direct people to places that can help them and also provide them with some basic information about empowering artists and also how to deal with artist visas on the website. And we're planning to launch those on November 1st. 
if the if the kinds of people who have been gathered in Lori's home over the past few months are any indication, the, the range of people, the diversity of voices, the elected officials, artists, arts organizations, curators, programmers, um, lawyers, um, if that's any indication of the future for the Federation, the future is very bright because it's, it's been such an eclectic and inspiring group that, that has been collecting uh, and gathering, again, quietly and privately, and now happening more publicly. Um, we're thrilled to have you join us here at the festival for NYFF Live. I encourage everyone in the room to continue in, to engage with the art and artists that's hap that, that are being presented here at Lincoln Center over the next few days. See Barbet's film, see Sarah's film, um, see other films, uh, challenge yourself, see a film that you've never heard of by an artist uh, that, that, you, that you don't know anything again? about. Is Ai Weiwei's showing again? Human Flow? Ai Weiwei's film opens in theaters, not here, but it actually opens in theaters tomorrow, uh, today's Wednesday, opens on Friday. Okay. So um, I know it's playing at a, so a, a theater around the corner. He's going to be there doing Q&As around the city. Human I encourage you to see it. Um, and so I hope you'll continue to engage with, uh, with our own festival, but really with the work of all of the artists represented here and, and those in the room. And thank you. We are the federation.org. Yeah. Join us. Join thank us. You very much. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.